The NHL moves into its next phase. The Coyotes make NHL history, and we dig into one of the most corrupt owners in NHL history. Don't say we didn't warn you. The Deep Geeks podcast starts right now. Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to the club. It is episode nine of the Deep Geeks podcast here on Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you very much for joining us this week. I'm your host, Thomas Mercier, and joining me now as the brand new co-host for the Deep Geeks podcast, if you didn't see on social media earlier this week, happy to welcome Miss Amanda Zerkowski, the host of Lace em Up, to the podcast as the new co-host. Welcome, Amanda. Glad to have you on the show. Thank you so much for uh, welcoming me into this uh, new thing and this new venture that you've got going. I am so excited to be here. Uh, I miss hockey tremendously, mm-hmm. <laughs> as I'm sure all of us do. So I'm, I'm really excited to be here and be along for the ride. No, it's I, I'm absolutely glad to have you because I remember running into you uh, while we were both out shopping and we happened to run into each other. And yes. I extended the offer to you and I'm, I'm glad to have you on, especially before we even reach episode 10. And you know what? I think this is going to work out really well for both of us because, you know, you mentioned how much you're missing Lace em Up and the Wolf season. So this is kind of a way to fill that void for both of us. And it's really good to have you on the show. Let's get right into it, Amanda. Obviously, a lot to talk about this week. Uh, And just recently, uh, a couple hours ago, actually, the NHL is now moving into their next phase uh, of their return to play program. So this next step will be, uh, as they're quoting, phase three, which will have all 24 teams resuming operations and can open up their training camps for July 10th. And of course, it was reported a couple weeks ago that it would be July lie at the earliest but there was no set date at the time now we have confirmation that camps can reopen on july 10th now i've had multiple guests on the show in the past uh you know to talk about this whole return to play program i'm still a little bit uh, a little bit worried about you know if covid comes back and someone gets sick that it shuts down the season but we are now one step closer to having hockey back um you know i wanted to get your opinion because i'm you know i haven't had you on the show and i never to ask you about this but you know do you see this working out for the nhl and you know do you think the season can really stretch into like maybe october or december i think it's going to be really interesting because you know just this week as an example the pittsburgh penguins announced that one of their players had contracted covid Mm -hmm. so as they're entering into these new phases we're still hearing stories and uh of, of players contracting the virus so it's going to be a challenge. Uh, I, I don't think that this is going to run necessarily as smoothly as they would like to or that they would anticipate happening. Uh, July 10th as a day to open training camps is still a ways away. We're basically a month away from that. Uh, so there's a lot that can happen within that month's time period. And it'll be really interesting to see, you know, how this story continues to develop because, you know, as teams are... Uh, coming back together, there are those travel uh, restrictions that are still put in place for anybody that's entering the country. Mm -hmm. So they're looking at 14-day quarantine periods. So all of that needs to come together logistically. I think this is an absolute nightmare for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that no matter how they looked at this, 
logistically it wasn't going to be an easy solution. And I think that players are excited because, you know, you look at some of the comments that some of the players have put on, you know, social media through through other media outlets, and basically they, the consensus is, is that, okay, there's a date now. Now there is less uncertainty about what's going to happen, but yet there's still a lot of uncertainty about when the season would actually resume and what this looks like long-term because, like you said, we're looking at a season that potentially could go to October. Mm-hmm. Who knows? We don't know at this point, right? Yeah. So, I, there, There's really there's really no light at the end of the tunnel for how long this can really last because, you know, with the return-to-play program, there's the play-in period, which is a best-of-five series in both conferences, which could easily run the, season, run the playoffs for at least another week or two. So, you know, you're adding another two weeks on top of the two or three months it would take for the Stanley Cup playoffs to actually finish, depending on how each series goes. But with the extended time period... That that these players haven't been on the ice, you know, it, th- this could potentially be a win or a loss for the NHL moving forward because, you know, like we mentioned, if a player was to contract COVID or if there was a multitude of injuries because of how long it's been since players have actually been able to go on the ice and train, you know, it could very easily shut down the season before it can even begin. But we don't know what's going to happen until they actually drop the puck. Now, obviously, with the other thing, Amanda, with this is, you know, they still have to decide which hub city they're going to choose. And they're supposed to be maybe two cities and you know the list has kind of been narrowed down for the most part because now in Canada it's Vancouver who actually recently just handed in um, you know a submission in order to be one of the hub cities I don't know if that's going to happen to be honest because Vancouver is a very highly populated city that's very close to the California border but uh, or not really that close to California borders but it's still you know one of the bigger cities you can go to obviously Toronto being the biggest of the bunch because it's the capital of Ontario there's a chance it could be in Toronto but again you have to take the safety considerations into factor Um, and Edmonton being the other Canadian city now in the United States obviously they're having a really tough time with COVID compared to Canadians but they have narrowed down the list as of right now it's LA Vegas Dallas Chicago Columbus Pittsburgh and the last one, Amanda, I wanted to get your opinion on it, is Minneapolis, Minnesota. Now, in the lights of what happened uh, in the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, in Minneapolis, this has a lot of people worried that the NHL should not consider Minnesota to be a hub uh, city, let alone a hub state. Do you think the NHL might have to cancel out Minnesota in this situation? I think of the list that you just listed, there's more than one city that needs to be canceled out of that list, just, you know, for logistical reasons, as well as obviously what's happening in the world right now. And the NHL would be crazy to not look at these types of situations and deal with them appropriately. Um, I think that if I was a betting woman, I was going to say betting man, but uh, betting woman... (laughs) Um, I don't believe that a hub city will be in Canada. I mm-hmm. just based on the border restrictions, uh, you know, families potentially having to be broken up because that's one of the concerns that NHL players were talking about was um, having to to be away from their families for potentially two months or longer, depending on how long it takes to get through all of this because there may be setbacks along the way. Um, 
and I think that by moving it into Canada, there would definitely be some cause for concern with that amongst players. Yeah. Just based on, you know, the border shutdowns. Now, they have opened it up a little bit as far as if you're immediate family, uh, you can come across the border. But again, who knows what's going to happen? It This comes down to we're, we're a month away just from training camp opening up, let mm-hmm. alone dropping the puck. And with that being said, you know, there's there's so many factors. As far as Minnesota is confer- concerned, I, I can't see that being the top destination at this point for a hub city, mm-hmm. only because of the safety concerns surrounding that. And I think that the NHLPA, as well as well as this, you know, um, group of players that have put together. Um, the return to hockey uh, campaign as far as, you know, the committees that are involved in all of this, I think that there would be definitely some concerns that were brought forward, you know, with the rioting that's been happening and peaceful protests. Absolutely. There have been lots of peaceful protests, but I think safety does become a concern. Uh, There is so much unrest right now in the United States and in Canada as well. You know, we've seen protests and, and peaceful demonstrations here north of the border as well. And there's just so many factors at play. This isn't just a hockey decision anymore, right? It's mm-hmm. it's beyond just let's drop the puck. These are the cities that we're going to drop them in. It goes so far beyond that. And when you're looking at, um, you know, these, these demonstrations and these peaceful protests and in some cases riots in some cities and, you know, the, the police brutality that we've seen in some areas as well, it, to me, it has to play a factor in, in where they come back because safety obviously is a concern coming back into this from the virus standpoint, but also from, you know, just the climate of the world right now. Yeah. It, it, like this whole return to play thing, at least in this, at least in this month and the last couple of weeks, it almost feels like it's getting political, is it not? Because with, with the whole situation in Minnesota, it's really starting to get political. And you think about Toronto, not just with you know obviously the protesting and whatnot. Toronto's still registering 100 to 200 new cases a day. Like they are, yeah. they're one of the toughest cities to really flatten the curve. While Vancouver is one of the more successful large cities in the entire country. So I, I can't help but feel like on the Canadian side, you might have to take Toronto out of consideration, which would obviously not go well with a lot of Leafs fans. But, you know, Toronto just, it, it's too big of a city. And with the ongoing pandemic, it's too risky at this point because eventually you very very well may run out of room to bring people in and just try and make sure that you don't come in contact with anybody because in Toronto, it's very hard to not come in contact with anyone. Trust me, I've walked the streets of Toronto and people are literally rubbing shoulders with, with you all day long. Like it's, it's close to impossible. Now on the United States side, I can't help but feel like Minneapolis or St. Paul, wherever they're going to play in Minnesota, has to be canceled out. But apparently, Vegas has become a front runner for the United States. And, you know, obviously, with the success of the Golden Knights, Vegas has really become a really notable hockey city in their very brief, you know, appearance in the National Hockey League. 
And, you know, there's a chance that hockey may strictly be in places like Arizona or Vegas because, you know, they're in the desert and they're just kind of away from a, a high a high public trafficking uh, sort of thing. Um, you know, do you possibly see this happening in a desert city? Uh, I think that actually having hockey in Vegas would be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was the last time I was in Vegas was right before uh, the Golden Knights were starting to play there, and it was palpable the energy within that city of the anticipation of this team coming in, and then how well they did in their first year in the NHL. Uh, logistically again going back to logistics I keep using that word but you got to look at all of that when you're looking at these types of decisions that are being made it does make a lot of sense to be in Vegas I players are going to be able to you know have their families there not that they wouldn't be able to have their families in Canada as well but again it comes down to those border restrictions It'll be interesting to see what happens. I'd, I'd love to see it out there. I think that that would be a great hub city. Uh, and you're, you're right about Toronto. I think Toronto is just automatically off the table, much to the chagrin of Leafs fans, mm-hmm. uh, because of the fact that now they're taking that regional approach to reopening the province. And the Horseshoe Valley is staying. They are not going into phase two at this point. So you have to look at that and look at how you can manage that large influx of of teams coming in and even though the teams would be limited in who is able to come in as far as players and personnel they're running on you know um a much reduced group of people when it comes to the staff uh and and the people behind the scenes but i I just don't see toronto as being an option at all at this point Mm -hmm. based on what we're seeing from you know the provincial government here in Ontario and you know to your point about the the politics behind it you know it's such an interesting time in the world right now aside from hockey obviously Um, obviously this is a this is a year where there is an election in the United States Um, there is a lot of political unrest in the United States right now as well and and to your point about things everything really becoming political well it's where we're at right now and and that's these are uncharted uncharted territories we've never experienced this in our lifetime our parents have never experienced this type of unrest in in their lifetime you know our grandparents even and i think that as things unfold in the coming month before training camps open Obviously, there's a lot of decisions that need to be made, and I think that the NHL is looking at every possible option, which they have to at this point. Yeah, so, I mean, moving forward, obviously, with training camps reopening on July 10th, it's a good step moving forward for the NHL, but they got a lot of work to do when it comes to hub cities and you know depending on which city honestly no matter what city they pick someone's going to get pissed i i can't help but feel like someone's going to get ticked off but you said it amanda like th- this is the time we're living in right now and we and the nhl needs to make the right decision you know just for everybody's safety and you know i i'm interested to see which hub cities will be named I kind of want to see at least one American, one Canadian, but even then, I don't know if that's really a possibility at this point. So, again, we'll have to wait and see. We'll talk about it down the road when more news comes out about it. 
Uh, let's move to our next bit of business, and it does surround the NHL uh, still as the Professional Hockey Writers Association has released their uh, list of nominees for the Bill Masterton Memorial Trophy. Of course, for those that are unfamiliar with the Bill Masterton, uh, it's the trophy that's awarded annually by the Hockey Writers Association to a player who best exemplifies the qualities of perseverance, sportsmanship, and dedication to ice hockey. And looking through the list, Amanda, there are a lot of notable names on here some that are really great big names and some that obviously have emotional stories now running through the list quickly of course it's one player from every team in the national hockey league so once seattle comes in it'll be 32 players to choose from now Running through the list quickly, of course, it starts alphabetically with Anaheim. So it goes Ryan Miller, Connor Garland, Kevin Miller, uh, Curtis Lazar, Mark Giordano, James Reimer uh, from Carolina. For Chicago, they got Corey Crawford, Ryan Grace, Nathan Gerby, Stephen Johns from Dallas, Robbie Fabry. For Edmonton, Connor McDavid because of his injury, which I think personally is a really good selection. For Florida, it's Nola Chari, Los Angeles, it's Jonathan Quick. In Minnesota, Alex Daylock, Shea Weber from Montreal, uh, Jared Tenorti in Nashville for New Jersey, Travis Zajac, oops, hit my keyboard uh, for the Islanders and Rangers, it's Hickey, Lundquist um, Pittsburgh it's Malkin, San Jose, Thornton for Tampa, Alex Kalorn. For Toronto, Zach Hyman. Vancouver is Jacob Markstrom. For Vegas, is Shea Theodore. Michael Kempney from Washington. And Mark Letestu for Winnipeg. Now, players that I skipped over are probably going to be the highest, uh, highest considered uh, possible recipients of this trophy. For Ottawa, Bobby Ryan. For Philadelphia, Oscar Lindblom. And for St. Louis, it's Jay Bomeister. Amanda, obviously, these three players had a really, really emotional year. Of course, Bobby Ryan with uh, his alcohol abuse, going to rehab, coming back, and then having the hat trick in his first game in Ottawa. Oscar Lindblom, of course, being diagnosed with uh, Ewing sarcoma. And then Jay Bomeister, who had the heart attack and had to get a piece, uh, pacemaker put in his heart, which could very well be the end of his National Hockey League career, as sad as it is, but at least he got a cup before, uh, you know, this all happened. But looking through this list, we said before the show we need to narrow down three players that we think are very well going to win this award. I can't help but feel like we might go for the same players. I'll go to you first. Who do you think has the best shot at winning the Bill Masterton? Uh, you know what? This is such a tough question because... I, I'm the type of person that looks at, okay, how'd their season go? What was the circumstances? And obviously, you know, just from uh, my perspective, an emotional connection to a story is really important for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously one of the ones that sticks out for me is Bobby Ryan. Um, I think that entering into the uh, substance abuse program that the NHL has Uh, And coming out of it, obviously, as a stronger person and a stronger NHL player, just based on the fact that now the focus isn't on what's going on in Bobby Ryan's life outside of the game of hockey. Because prior to entering in that that program, you knew there was a problem. Uh, You could see it. The writing was on the wall uh, and, and there were rumblings about it. And now I think coming back, being stronger... I love this story. It's a feel-good story for me of somebody who is overcoming an addiction and uh, really coming back stronger. Um, 
you know, as a Penguins fan, Philadelphia is our, our nemesis. But when it comes to the story behind Oscar's uh, journey through uh, cancer and being diagnosed and how the NHL basically wrapped their arms around him and, you know, carried him through some of those treatments as far as the support was concerned you can't help but just be drawn to that and then you know going to to jay bowmeister you know those are the top three like you said those were the the three that you left off the list those were the top three because watching a teammate go down on a bench and being unsure about the certainty of what was going to happen next as a player you know that's not something you think you're ever going to have to experience. And his life was saved on that bench. Uh, The quick reaction of medical staff, uh, his life was saved on the bench. And it is a scary, scary thing to have to go through and to come out of it, potentially having to announce a retirement. That is something that is, um, you know, hits a lot of people in the fields because you think about that and, people want to go out on their own terms and when you're not able to go out on your own terms it really um brings forward a lot of different feelings and emotions uh, of how you know you react to those types of things so if i had to pick one though which i know you're gonna make me do <laughs> well i'm not really uh, pressuring you in doing that but if you want to <laughs> i i think that um I think it'll be Jay Bowmeister. Yeah. That's my pick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think it would be, you know, I think it'd be fitting because if his career is in fact over, this would be just the perfect send off, honestly. And I mean, it you know, Bowmeister's hunt to try and get a Stanley Cup was a long, treacherous road. He went through so many teams to get there and then he goes to St. Louis and they, they finally get the job done and get their first cup. Um, you know, obviously the stories of Bobby Ryan, you know, I remember watching his game and it's hard not to get emotional watching that because you look at him on the bench. He's so emotional. His teammates just fully behind him. They're embracing him throughout. And then, you know, the story of Oscar Lindblom was, you know, obviously so saddening and then overcame it and is, is looking to return to the NHL, which is amazing news, obviously not just for Philly, but the entire National Hockey League. But yeah, I can't help but feel like Jay Bowmeister has to be the front runner for this award. Um, you know, not not just saying this because of who Bowmeister is and the fact that, you know, obviously was one of my favorite defensemen in the NHL over the last few years, but he's just that kind of guy that really is, you know, the, a kind of person that plays through so much emotion and goes through so many different scenarios to get to a point. And finally, when you lift the cup over your head, just everything, every burden and every, you know, past history you've had that was weighing on your shoulders finally just comes off. And it, it has to be the best feeling in the world for him. And moving forward, I can't help but sigh with you, Amanda. I can't help but feel like Bomeister is going to get this award because you think back to you know players that have had heart attacks in the past like Yuri Fisher, obviously Rich Peverly, and of course Bomeister being the most recent. You know, obviously it, it when people's lives are on the line, um, you know it, it's a split second decision that could save someone's life, and Bomeister's life was saved that night. 
and you know people are forever thankful and people don't give you know these medical personnel enough credit you think back to when Tucker Tynan you know obviously a different scenario when uh, when he had a skate cut into his leg and it was bleeding profusely obviously it's not the same as a heart attack but it's still a life threatening situation and his life as a young rookie goaltender was saved that night and it's the medical personnel that, you know, if I were to give a Bill Masterton to every medical personnel or medical person, I would give it in a heartbeat. But in this in this situation, I feel like Bomiser is going to be the front runner for this award. Now, obviously, you know, when the when the NHL awards are going to be, nobody really knows. Obviously, there isn't going to be a full-blown show like there usually is in Vegas at this point because of the ongoing pandemic. But I would imagine it's probably done, you know, probably virtually if anything but you know what it's and that's the thing it's like you want to celebrate these these moments and these accomplishments and it you know like chase when we um when we're speaking with chase we want to ask him about what it's going to be like to potentially lift up a banner in an empty arena Mm -hmm. and it's you know it's a little bit of a different time that is for sure and you know, one one more quick point about this this whole Masterson and and the nominees. You know, Oscar's story really resonates with me because I, you know, I remember Mario Lemieux going through the same thing uh, back in the, in the early '90s when he was going through uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma and it, that perseverance of wanting to come back and and still hockey is that mindset, right? Mm-hmm. And and he's in the same boat and it's. Um, it's amazing to see how far he's come in such a short amount of time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's move on to our next topic. Um, you know, obviously, recent news of Hockey Canada now lifting their national ban on sanction activities. Uh, so the 13 regional members are able to work with local authorities to make final decisions to return to hockey and of course the Ontario Hockey Federation falls under that handle so the NOGHL and OGHL are possibly going to return next season which is obviously great news for junior hockey players because their seasons were cut very short uh, so suddenly and moving forward obviously Hockey Canada is you know going to play it safe and try to make sure that something like this never happens again and that nobody in uh, at least while Hockey Canada is surveying all the leagues, that nothing happens to their members, especially on their board. And you look at the statement that Tom Rennie, the chief executive officer, released with Scott Smith, uh, president and chief operating officer. You know, they go in full depth about uh, why they're doing this and what uh, restrictions that they're going to have in place going forward. There's a chance that Junior A hockey may very well be played in empty arenas at this point, which is the same thing in the OHL. But with the OHL, it might be different because they might have some people in the arena, but moving forward, we don't know yet. But obviously, Hockey Canada lifting their national ban is obviously a big step in the right direction. And Amanda, you know, obviously, it's a great sign at this point because, you know, the the season ended so soon and Hockey Canada felt bad for canceling everything especially having to be involved with canceling the World Cup for the first time I think I personally think ever I could be mistaken but you know obviously moving forward this is a big big step for Hockey Canada and bringing hockey back it is and I think you know it goes without saying that it's not just you know the, the OHL and the NOJHL. We're we're talking grassroots hockey here because 
there are so many young kids that had their season abruptly ended. You know, my son being one of them, we were we were actually in Toronto the weekend before everything got shut down in a tournament in Aurora. And we missed, uh, he had two more tournaments coming up and they missed out on those tournaments and they missed out on playoffs. And, you know, these young kids that are putting in all this time and effort into a sport that they love so much and not being able to, you know, finish their season and trying to explain to a 10 or an 11 year old why their season is being cut short and them not really fully grasping everything. uh, It's a lot for these kids to handle. And sport is always one of those things that you can um, put your energy into. And with the COVID, that's not been the case. There is no outlet as far as these kids are concerned when they're when they're into sports and whether it's hockey or baseball or football, you know, it doesn't matter. It's the same across the board. And I know locally here, uh, parents have already been surveyed for uh, local minor hockey about how they feel if Hockey Canada was to make this announcement. The announcement was made. Okay, now what's our next steps? What does this look like moving forward? Not just at you know a level where people are paying to come and watch you play hockey, but in that grassroots level. And I think that the consensus is is that based on from what I've seen from local you know um, hockey associations here, especially Walden Minor Hockey, they've actually pulled the parents and said, "Are you comfortable if we go ahead with the season next year? Status quo." Uh, you know, depending on what these guidelines and these restrictions look like, of course, but uh, parents seem to be ready and willing to put their kids back in hockey because it's not just the sport itself, but it's the mental side of the game that these kids get from being involved in team sports. And I think that that's something that there's so much discussion that can happen around that. Uh, At the OHL level, obviously, I... I miss hockey. You miss hockey. We all miss hockey. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I. It was hard for me. I'm not even playing. I'm, you know, interviewing players on the side of the rink at in between periods, and I miss it because for me, it's that outlet, right? And mm-hmm. to have everything cut to an end so quickly with really no warning, it was just boom, done. That's it. It's over. I. Uh, it was hard. It was a hard to process because. Uh, it is definitely an outlet for me to to sit back and write shows for Lace Them Up and and do these interviews and uh, you know you see how hard these players work and you, you can't help but uh, feel for them because that's a lot to process. But mm-hmm. I think that these steps that Hockey Canada is taking are the right steps. They're doing it in the right amount of time and they are leaving it up to the local public health. Um, areas in order to make decisions based on what is going to be best for certain communities moving forward and I like that approach uh, because you know what like we said earlier it Toronto okay maybe not so much maybe now's not the time to be looking at reopening some of that kind of stuff but up here in the north yeah it makes sense that you know hockey season starts in September again mm-hmm 
Now, Amanda, we're going to move into a new thing that we uh, that I've done in the past, but it's new because you're now part of the show. Uh, we're now going to have our first actual guest interview segment, and it's a very special one that you and I are very familiar with. Uh, it's Subbery Wolves is rookie for Chase Zillman. Now, obviously, there was a lot of news released uh, earlier in the week, and we're going to get a chance to talk to Chase about that. And, of course, you and I are very familiar with him. And, uh, you know, I think this could be a fun little interview segment. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to this. Joining us for our first ever guest segment here on the show with our new co-host, Amanda. We have a very special guest joining us who we are very familiar with. Right, Amanda? We are very familiar with here in Sudbury. Uh, None other than Chase Stillman. Chase, welcome to the show, buddy. Glad to have you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me out. So you have a pretty good resume going for you already, Chase. I mean, first team all-star, minor midget champion, and rookie of the year in the Great North Midget League, plus the NOHA player of the year back in 2018-19. And uh, just recently, some more uh, some more honors for you that we'll get into in a minute. But first, uh, how's the isolation been going for you and your father so far? No, it's been good. It's been good. You know, some some quality time during the off season. I know we see each other a lot during the year, but it's nice to just kind of have that family time with uh, no hockey uh, being involved. So just kind of been just working out five to six days a week at the at the cottage and just do, doing a lot of surf. I'm big surfer in the summer. Just the wake the wake surfing. It's a lot of fun. It's it's definitely a lot different for a lot of people because this is something that none of us have really ever experienced before. So I can imagine it's a little hard, you know, for uh, because you guys were on the road to Peterborough when all of this was happening. It was just such a cr- mm-hmm. just a crazy day. And in your rookie season, you know, you were on pace for a really good season and you uh, finished ninth among uh, rookies in the Ontario Hockey League and 34 points in 58 eight games and I gotta say Chase really good rookie season and it earned you a first eight, uh, OHL all rookie team honor uh, of course that news coming out not too long ago back on May 27th uh, just describe the whole moment what's it like uh, to be on that first all rookie team with players like Shane Wright and Brennan Othman yeah no it, it was a huge accomplishment for me obviously uh, you know it's one of the things I worked for all year to be to be a part of that team and you know, there's a lot of special players that that made that team the first and second team. So for me, for me getting that, it's it's a huge accomplishment to to me and my family. So nothing but grateful for that. And you know, sharing it with the forwards like uh, Shane Wright and Brennan Othman, who uh, that I'm really close with, and we we still keep in touch during the season and even off the season. So uh, it's it's a great group of guys that if if we did have a like a scrimmage or whatever against the first first second team, it'd be it'd be pretty fun. But no, it's a huge accomplishment for me, and I'm super proud of that. So we talk a lot about, you know, the mental prep for games and the approach to the season, but nobody could have prepared you guys for what happened and how this season ended. So as a young player, how do you focus on the mental side of the game when going through something like this? Because that mental game was something that we talked a lot about this season in particular and the preparation that goes into it. So how, how does that work for you when there's an abrupt end to the season and you guys have no idea really how to process that? Yeah, it, it was tough. You know, we we busted in the Peterborough. Uh, we're, we we checked in our hotel and all that stuff like that. Then you're, you know, you're hearing the outbreaks going on, and then you were just waiting to hear news from the NHL. And we we knew we were going to follow them right after. So, you know, I, I know I was just sitting in my room watching the TV and TSN, and you know, you had the Hockey Insiders guys. They were talking about it, and as soon as it ended, we knew our season would be canceled right after that. So, 
for all of us, it was tough because it was just it was such an abrupt ending to the season, like you said. And you know, we were we were just gearing up for playoffs, and we were kind of getting that getting that excitement to start that up. And for us, like it was just like saying saying goodbye to the OAs because we 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 kind of knew it wasn't going to start back up in playoffs with how serious this virus is. So. You know, saying goodbye to guys like Macaulay Carson, David Levin, uh, Shane Balicka, who we played with and got traded at North Bay, and then Brad Chenier, who came in. You know, just just all great guys and were super influential in my career, and uh, especially Carson. You know, I played with him for for most of the season. He was my centerman, so you know, he he kind of helped me in this league a lot. You know, kind of take me under his wing. So, and the mental side of it, you know, it's it's part of life. You know, there's there's more important things in hockey right now, and that's that's everyone's safety. So. Yeah, it just kind of gives you more time in the off season to, to get bigger, work on your game, you know, get a lot stronger. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how good of everyone's shape is when they come back to the start of the season next year. Now, Chase, before you join the Wolves, of course, you got your start here in Sudbury with the uh, minor midget team and then played a couple games for the Nickel Capital Wolves and then played eight games with Rayside Balfour, recording a point in each of those games. Um, and, you know, before you decided to join Sudbury, you had already had a a package to go to Providence College, which is, in my opinion, one of the most underrated uh, hockey programs in the entire United States. And mm -hmm. it, it would have been a really big adventure for you, but... Instead, you decide to come to Sudbury and play with the Wolves, and especially with your father behind the bench. Um, what what pushed you to make the decision to play in Sudbury instead of going over to the United States and playing in Providence? So uh, I have nothing to good say, uh, good things to say about Providence College. You know, the great school. Uh, Chris Mayout was one of the main guys that recruited me. Nate Lehman, who's the head coach. Uh, you know, all great guys. Um, they did. They did nothing but work hard for me to get that to get that uh, full ride to Providence. But uh, for me, it just kind of became a thing. You know, getting getting drafted by uh, Sudbury in the second round. It was just like it was kind of a family decision. You know, we you don't have a very there's a very small opportunity to be coached by your dad in, in the Ontario Hockey League at such a high level. So we looked at it that way, and we're like, this is, could be a special opportunity. And you know, look, looking back now to one of the main reasons was that my dad has an OHL championship and then my brother recently won with Hamilton Bulldogs. So uh, I think it's only the right way if I can hopefully bring one to Sudbury. Is it strange to be coached by your father? Because I know not a lot of players experience that, but what's it like to be coached by your father? It, it's different. Um, he's really hard on me, always has been since a kid. He coached <laughs> me for for two years in uh, minor minor Pee and major Pee and even then, like uh, he expects nothing but the best for me. Um, and so, you know, kind of being that guy to lean on in minor minor hockey when I was kind of the guy, you know, scoring goals and stuff like that. And uh, stepping in the OHL, it was a little different because, you know, a lot of people are going to expect him to be giving me first unit power play time, all that PK. But it turns out like I was like a rookie, like no other no other player on our team, and I got treated no differently. Like. Uh, I didn't play power play. I didn't play penalty kill. So I just kind of had to work for my ice time five on five. So it was different just seeing such a familiar face behind the bench. And, you know, he, he does control how much you play and and what you do with hockey. So um, it was just kind of different seeing that guy behind the bench. But, you know, uh, nothing but good things to say about him. I think he's a great coach. And, you know, he's he's made improvements in a lot of other hockey players' careers. So uh, being coached by a guy with a repertoire like that, I think it was the best move for me. So Chase, you scored your first OHL goal on one of the absolute sickest plays of the year. <laughs> you had a great rookie campaign. I still watch that video. Thomas and I were talking about <laughs> yeah. that earlier before we jumped on with you, and we both said, like, that's one of those ones that stays with you for a really long time, and you look back on that and just be like, 
wow. Mm-hmm. Like, first OHL goal, and that's what you go out and do. <laughs> it's impressive. <laughs> yeah. You had a great rookie campaign. Uh, you know, coming into the off season, obviously, which was a little bit sooner than everybody had anticipated, how do you build on your game? How do you come back stronger in the fall? Uh, you talked about you've been working out at the cottage. What do those workouts look like for you? And what are you focusing on coming back into next season? It's just, it's pretty much strength. Uh, you know, we work out at the cottage. We have a full-size gym in our garage that we turned into just a full gym. So I got two squat racks. I have a glute hand machine. I have all the, all the necessities for a gym. And, you know, just kind of just kind of getting stronger. You know, you, you do your little cardio maybe on the weekends, go for a run. Or I'm big into biking right now. I usually go for like a couple kilometer bike ride every every weekend so saturday and sunday and yeah just kind of it's just those things and working on your game like uh shooting pucks and stick handling and just doing everything you can to to stay on top of it and you know not being able to skate right now is tough for me because i'd be i'd be doing skating lessons right now with tracy tutton and whippy and we haven't been able to do that because of the rinks not opening so there's a lot of stuff you can improve on uh during this time and i think it's crucial that you make the most out of that now, Chase, let's let's uh, focus on the season that was for you guys. Obviously, it was a rookie season. It, it was a it was a bit of a different experience, you know, compared to minor midget and junior A hockey. Playing with some of the biggest names currently in the Ontario Hockey League, especially on your own team, and you mm-hmm. got to play with some really great teammates that you mentioned: Macaulay Carson, David Levin, Brad Cheney, Shane Balika, being just uh, to name a few of them. And you guys uh, won. Subbury's first Central Division Championship since 2001, which obviously had a lot of fans talking, and you guys really ran away with the Central Division, despite the Eastern Conference being a little lackluster this year compared to past years. Now, obviously, you guys were very competitive this year, and you guys were very hungry to get a championship for guys like McCauley and Levin, who have been with Subbury since day one. Um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the season that was, because obviously, a lot of high hopes going into this season and without, you know, having the top goaltender from last year returning in Lukanen and going through a bit of a shakeup with all the rookies that you guys had, what were your thoughts on the season as a first-year rookie? You know, I thought it was great. You know, we, we played, I thought we played really well this year. Um, we kind of went through a slump. Uh, I think it was around Christmas time when Quentin went to the World Juniors. And like I said, Amanda, when you asked me that question when we were playing uh, against Barry, I just said we, we lose a little bit of that swagger in the dressing room, you know, losing – such a top guy like that who's going to be a high pick this year in the NHL draft. Uh, we went through a little bit of slump, and for me, if, I think if we dominated during those games while he was gone, we uh, we would have scared a lot of teams. You know, if not having that guy, and we can still produce uh, points and wins like we were, it would have been great. But uh, for us to end the season the way it did, it, it was tough. Like it, it's so such a huge accomplishment for the city of Sudbury to to bring in that division uh, championship, and you know it's going to be pretty cool to see the the banner getting. Uh, hung next year i don't know when they're gonna i don't know if it's gonna be the home opener or something like that but Probably. yeah it'll it, it'll just be really cool just to, to, to know that i was a part of that and you know kind of pretty impactful too just uh playing almost every game and so it, that's huge for us and you know it would have been it would have been really interesting to see what we could have done in the playoffs but um unfortunately we couldn't get to do that but you know um we had a great team great group of guys probably one of the most fun years i've had playing hockey just such a good locker room and yeah, I had a lot of fun this year. One of the things, too, you know, to kind of build up of what you were just saying is that, you know, you guys kind of hit your stride as a team down the stretch. And, mm-hmm. you know, it it's a season of what ifs and what could have beens. But 
I think the momentum had really shifted the Wolves' way as far as coming into the playoffs and being strong. Mm-hmm. You know, do you guys kind of feel the same way as as that? Just that it was a missed opportunity, but there's nothing that we can do about it, right? Yeah. So can't dwell on it. No, absolutely. We we were winning a lot at the end of, end, end of the year, and even for myself personally, uh, uh, that's when I started to kind of put it all together. Yeah, being comfortable in the league at this point, you know, finding ways to to score goals and produce points and. I think I had nine points in my last 10 or 11 or something like that. So for me, I was getting really comfortable and, you know, starting to produce at a high rate towards the end of the season. And it sucks the way that it ended. But, uh, yeah, it was – we were – honestly, it, we, our best hockey was at the end of the year. And we knew that we kind of had to start uh, getting ready for playoffs and play playoff-type hockey. So it, it would have been really fun to watch us, I think, in, in Sudbury in the playoffs. And, you, you know, we play we play a pretty hard game. And I don't think a lot of people want to come play in the Sudbury arena because uh, we play hard, we play physical. So – it's, again, it would have been really interesting to see us in the playoffs. Jay, now, looking so, ahead, oh, sorry, sorry go ahead. Anna, no, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> looking ahead to uh, if hockey comes back in the fall mm-hmm. and you play without fans in the seats, how does this impact the team as no one is really going to have home ice advantage anymore? Mm-hmm. So how do you prep for games like that and, and look to that season ahead of most likely that's probably if the season starts on time, that's probably what we're looking at is arenas that don't have fans in them. Yeah, it's going to be different. Uh, for me, I'm pretty thankful. And for the other the other rookies on the team, we just kind of came out of minor midget where you weren't packing the arenas anywhere you go. So unless you were Don Mills, of course. But uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's going to be a little different. You know, like you make a big hit or you score a goal or something happens and there's just not that excitement factor in the game anymore with, if there's no fans. It's... It's going to be different, but, uh, you know, it's going to be something we can adjust to, and I think we're going to do it very quickly. So um, it'll, it'll be different for sure. And for, for, for the older guys in the league, uh, it's going to be very different because they haven't played like this in, in you know, a couple of years. So uh, for I think for the rookies, we have a little bit of an advantage playing with not that much of an atmosphere. But it's, it's, it's going to be, at the start, it's going to be really different. You know, the fans in Siberia are great. Whenever you do something huge or run someone over, they're always – they get really excited. So it's, it's going to be different, but yeah, I think it's going to be an adjustment and I think it's going to be made quickly. Chase Stillman of the Subway Wolves joining us here on the podcast. Uh, now, Chase, earlier today, uh, Hockey Canada recognized 46 players that were going to be invited to the Men's Summer Under-18 Team Selection Camp, which, w- of course, would have been in uh, in Edmonton and Red Deer this year for the Holinka Gretzky Cup, and you were mentioned to that list. So, first of all, congratulations on that. Yeah. Um, Thank you. you. You've had your experience when it has come to playing at top levels because you have played at the OHL Cup, uh, and of course, represent Northern Ontario with Team NOHA. So obviously, some really big experience for you. Um, and obviously, Hockey Canada having to cancel the Holinka Gretzky Cup due to the ongoing pandemic. Uh, even though that the lockdown is kind of being brought down right now, it's still not going to happen. But obviously, still a huge honor for you. Uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on that. What was it like to be uh, one of the few OHL players and just junior players in all of Canada to be mentioned? by Hockey Canada to such an, a historic and illustrious tournament. Yeah, no, it was an unbelievable moment. You know, I got the call yesterday from from the Hockey Canada guy, Sean, and uh, telling me that I've made it, and it was just, it was honestly a shock. Um, it's just something you push for all your life to, to be a part of this team, and, you know, looking past on, on the guys that made it, um, just honestly nothing but good players coming out of that tournament. So for me to be have the opportunity to, to try out and make that team is, is just a huge accomplishment and it sucks not uh, being able to go to it and I was really looking forward to competing against those players again and 
you know, if you make it, then playing on the international ice again. Uh, it's, it's it's a lot of fun. It's different hockey. It's fast paced. It's it's a lot more skill. And no, it would have been great to kind of compare myself to other players and around the world again. Yeah, and it's obviously, you know, having a tournament like the Holinka Gretzky Cup, uh, obviously the Wolves did have a representative from the past in Quentin Byfield go to that. And this will be the final question we'll ask you, Chase. You know, you got to play with Byfield for only one season. But, of course, you know, with your dad coaching the team, you got to know him for a little bit longer than that. Obviously, right. Quentin has really helped bring Sudbury back to relevancy in the OHL. And you and the rest of the team have done a really good job of that. And that's why the division banner um, on its own shows the representation of how much you guys have made a turnaround since the earlier years of the Wolves. Uh, playing with someone like Quinton, you mentioned him just a few minutes ago and him at the draft. Have you ever seen a player like Quinton Byfield before? Uh, personally, playing against or playing with, no. Um, I actually played against him in Major Bantam when I was playing uh, with the O2 Peets, and right then and there, you're like, okay, this guy, this guy's honestly on his own level, and now coming in and watching him play last year when I was when I was also living in Sudbury minor midget like he's just he's totally on a different level from other players and you know he was actually my first OHL point and uh, in Erie some guy uh, I forget who it was I think it might have been I don't know it might have been Gilly at the time he changed early something happened and I just ended up sneaking a shift out there I was playing fourth line at the time and he was first so just squeaking out there then uh, stretch pass and, and then Q does what he does and just goes shelf on on the Erie goalie. But no, like just the way that he his separation speed and you know his his freak size and he's just a freak of nature. Like his his body build's unbelievable just for for a hockey player. So and how he comes out of the puck and or comes out with the puck in battles and he's just he's so strong on the puck. So I've I've honestly never seen a player like that or played with him live. But uh, he, I think he's gonna be he's gonna be a great player in the future. Well, Chase, uh, I got to say, this was a lot of fun, and we're, we were very glad to have you on the show uh, today. Um, and, you know, obviously, really unfortunate end to the season. But again, uh, myself, Amanda, and you have talked throughout the majority of the season. And, you know, obviously, a lot of high goals for this team going forward. And I'm sure next year, you know, there's a lot of unfinished business. I think we can all agree on that, that, you know, Subbury's going to be hungry. And especially with the new additions uh, that they made over the summer, you know, we can definitely talk about that and we'd love to have you on the show again i just got to say great job today kid really glad to yeah. have you yeah thank you anytime guys honestly special thanks to chase stillman for joining us here on the show and you know man it's always great to talk to chase because he's such a smart young man with such a gifted well you know gifted hockey skills and obviously moving forward you know can't help but wish the best for him moving forward because i feel like he's going to be a really good asset to the wolves in the future Absolutely. You know, I can't say enough good things about about him, not only as a hockey player, but but as a person. And, you know, listening to him speak, he's just wise beyond his years. And Mm -hmm. he is a great interview. So that was great to uh, have him as the the first interview with me on the show as well. Now, this next segment, if I may, I need to go off on a certain uh, owner in the National Hockey League that has been making news stories, um, not just in the city of where they are right now, but across Canada. Um, Earlier this week, the Senators and the Senators Foundation uh, are parted ways. It was announced earlier this week. Um, And, you know, if they don't resolve their dispute by July 31st, that's it. And it wasn't the Senators that decided to walk away. It was the Foundation that chose to walk away. Now, 
Um, obviously, Eugene Melnick is who we're talking about. For those that are unfamiliar with, uh, you know, who we're mentioning, um, <sighs> I'm, I'm sorry, but this guy is the biggest scumbag in the National Hockey League. Is he not? Like, you look at the stories that have come up, Amanda. This guy is it's bringing the Senators franchise down. And for those that are unfamiliar with what's happening, um, Melnick back in 2016 created the Oregon Project, which is a private Toronto-based non-profit foundation with the goal of ending organ transplant waiting lists. Now, while it gained almost a million dollars in 2018, Melnick only contributed $5,000 to organ donor awareness. What? (laughs) Yeah. And and one thing that I want to really point out on this is that the Senators Foundation, although um, they have are severing those ties with uh, the Ottawa Senators, the Oregon Project is actually separate from from that Senators Foundation. So let's just yeah. make sure that we get that right too. And then, like you said, of that roughly one million dollars taken in by Melnick's charity, they spent seven hundred and eighty thousand dollars on fundraising costs. You know what? I I'm involved in enough boards, uh, and I know that there is a cost to fundraising. Absolutely. But that is insane. And then having another $238,000 on management and administration, who is managing this for you? Because they're not (laughs) doing a great job. Uh, You know, and we can help you cut some of those costs for sure. Um, This one's tough for me because I I actually know somebody that sits on the Senators Foundation on the board of directors. And the work that they have done within the community of Ottawa is just so valuable to the city and the relationships that the senators foundation and the people that are a part of the senators foundation that have built with the players both past and present from the senators i think that this is leaving such a sour taste in people's mouths because of how this is ending and why it's ending and, and it shouldn't be ending. It should not be ending. Absolutely not. You know what? I I grew up in Ottawa. So I have seen um, the transformation of this hockey club from when they came back into the league in, in the early 90s and to where they are now. And my family actually had season tickets uh, throughout a couple of the seasons. So I've, I've been to many a games in Ottawa. And when Melnick started heading south with a lot of the decisions that he was making uh the team and the morale of the team were directly impacted and you can see if you look back in the news cycles you know throughout the years uh you're gonna see the the news stories that come up from that uh from a fan standpoint in the city of ottawa um the reaction to Melnick is that they don't come to the games and support the hockey club anymore, which is terrible because the sense over the years, there's obviously been some down years as well, but fan support in Ottawa was always really strong and it's just not anymore. Uh, it's yeah. really hard for fans to go and spend money, even though that they want to support the team. The message that they want to send is we do not support Melnick. And no. And that's a strong message to send. 
Uh, you know, there's there's been so many decisions that have been made with this hockey club. And, and just, I think the nail in the coffin for Eugene Melnick and the Ottawa Senators and the ties, obviously, with this, that's involved with this as, as owner, is that fans are not going to come back and support someone who says they are a philanthropist uh, and yet really when the numbers you you look at the numbers of something like this like the organ project um, there's a problem here and you know the organ project one of the things that they said is that it doesn't require board of directors to oversee operations Mm -hmm. that is you know that is problematic because when you're looking at at foundations, you need to have a board of directors because otherwise, this is exactly the type of situation that you're going to find yourself in. And I think anybody that is looking for a really good story right now is digging into every single piece of information that they can find about Eugene Melnick because I think that there is more stuff that has not come out yet. Yeah, and, you know, obviously with the Senators Foundation thing, obviously it made his bad reputation even more so because, you know, back in 2017, he said that he was worth $1.21 billion, but turns out he actually wasn't a billionaire. He was off by a few hundred thousand. And then, you know, back on the 15th of December in 2017, he said on national television, he wanted to relocate the team. Are you nuts, man? Are you kidding me? You can't say that on national television. This guy is ridiculous. And then, I don't know if you remember this story, man, but do you remember when his chief pilot resigned from working for him? I don't. I don't, but now I'm going to go and look. (laughs) Okay, well, here's the story. So he had a pilot that was flying him around from location to location, and she resigned, and she had to sue Melnick and the Sens, um, you know, for her last paycheck because Melnick didn't want to pay the girl. So she took them to court, and the Sens planned an appeal to nearly a 13,000 ruling in her favor. She won the ruling. So legally, the Senators and Melnick had to pay her that 13,000. And guess what? They fired her because she handed in her two-week resignation. Like, are you, how much of a slimeball can you possibly be? Like, tell me there isn't a more corrupt owner in the National Hockey League right now. Name me one person. I don't think that you can. (laughs) You can't. I don't think you can. You know what? His reputation as a businessman, uh, when he came into this league, there was a lot of positives that that seemed to be coming with him, you know, taking ownership. But as the years have gone on and, you know, the disgust, I guess, is is the right word to use of of fans towards Melnick, uh, especially in Ottawa. Something's got to change, right? Something needs to happen here. Yeah, Get him out of Ottawa. He he needs to sell the team. I think that the consensus if you were to ask around loyal fans in Ottawa, not not the Fairweather fans that we see across the NHL, but uh, Mm -hmm. some loyal Ottawa Senators fans, I think you're going to be pretty hard-pressed to find a supporter for Eugene Melnick. And, you know, this whole severing ties with the Senators Foundation, like, it just, it leaves such a sour taste in my mouth because 
I get to see, you know, obviously on social media, um, some of the happenings that are that are going on within the foundation um, that maybe not everybody in the public gets to see just because I have that connection to someone that's that's on that board of directors. And, you know, these these alumni that have supported the, the Senators Foundation, Chris Phillips comes to mind, top of mind. Uh, he has been such a huge advocate for the Senators Foundation and being involved within, uh, you know, the foundation. Chris Neal, uh, these are guys that continued to live in the city of Ottawa after they finished playing for the city of Ottawa uh, and the, the Ottawa Senators. And these are guys that have contributed so much of their time and not just their time, but their families have gotten involved. Uh, the Phillips family are huge supporters of this. And I just think that unless if there is something different and bigger coming, but why, why it just does not make sense. And now you have a foundation that does not know what their future holds for them because obviously having that connection to the Ottawa senators and, and forming that foundation with it, uh, it leaves a void in the community for sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And <laughs> as much, as much as I want to say certain things about Eugene Melnick, I can't because obviously we need to keep it as PG as possible. But this guy needs to just leave the NHL and leave everybody the hell alone. He needs to just go back to Barbados or whatever the hell island he lives on during the summer and during the season and just he needs to go away. He yeah. needs to go away because I am tired of seeing this guy make headlines because he doesn't want to pay $13,000 for a pilot who handed in a two-week resignation and to give more than $5,000 to a charity. The, what the hell is this guy thinking? Melnick needs to get the hell out of Ottawa and stop screwing over such an amazing fan base. You want to know why the attendance has been such a problem for Ottawa? Because people don't want to support Eugene Melnick. He is a terrible owner and he needs to go the hell away. Well, and when you have a hashtag of Melnick out and they have billboards in Ottawa on the 417 that are visible to everybody traveling... That is saying, you know, it's it's paid for by the fans. By the yep. fans, they have created yep. a website, melnickout.ca. You know, it, that messaging is pretty clear. And you know what? If people may love the game of hockey, but if things are as bad as you know they seem from a fan standpoint for the Ottawa Senators. Whether you have, you know, just because COVID you can't have fans in the arena doesn't mean that once hockey resumes that fans are going to be coming, you know, running back to to the open doors that are going to be waiting for them because yeah. of this situation. And it's really sad because there are a lot of really great pieces in the Ottawa Senators organization as far as, mm -hmm. you know, players and, and personnel are concerned. And um, I think that they are definitely on... Um, an upward trend just based on the fact that they are going to draft very high this year in the NHL entry draft. Uh, you're going to be looking at a, at a player that can make an immediate impact in your hockey club. Uh, and it's, it's going to be tough to see what happens next season, I think, because obviously this season, uh, you know, is going to play out the way it's going to play out, but next season it'll be really, really interesting 
uh, to see what happens. But it, you got to wonder with the, the bad press and, and everything going on, what the Melnick camp is thinking and, and what their next steps are. Because, you, you know, when you have a fan base that is so against you, you have to look at the big picture financially and you can't help but think that just maybe, just maybe, they... <laughs> That's an option. I just don't think he cares. He no. just sees money and he's like, I want it. Give me money. Yeah, he is. He is definitely a businessman. Uh, maybe not the most ethical businessman, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, he's I wouldn't say he's in it because he loves the game of hockey. And no, uh, <laughs> because I think you would you would handle yourself a little bit differently. And, you know, I think the big part for me is that that he talks so much about his uh, philanthropy work that he does. And yet when the numbers come out and are made public to some of these organizations like the Oregon project, and you look at that, that big picture, people are donating money to this cause and it's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere that it should be. And like I said, I know being on boards of directors, I know that there's a cost of fundraising and you know, the grander the event, the the, the more it's going to cost. But at the end of the day, to spend that much on fundraising efforts uh, and, and turn around and only donate $5,000, it's shameful. Yeah. And it, and it really gives uh, the Senators organization a bad rep. And you wonder why people don't want to, why players don't want to stay in Ottawa. Think about, you know, Eric Carlson and him eventually wanting to trade. The whole Mike Hoffman situation with his girlfriend, which was disgusting. The Uber incident. Like, everything about this Ottawa Senators team since... Since the Penguins beat them in overtime, this team has been on a downhill spiral, and Melnick is a main contributor to that reason, because as great a job as Pierre Dorian is doing, he's being forced to make these moves by Melnick and do something that is just ruining this team of that, that was one went away from going to a Stanley Cup final. Like, how far from grace can you really fall? Like, really? Like, don't get me wrong. Pittsburgh was a great team, but Ottawa was that damn close to going to another Cup final, which I think would have been great for the city of Ottawa. But the reason why their attendance was so bad in the playoffs was because maybe, I don't know, Eugene Melnick is a bit of a sleazeball. But... Now that we got that out of the way, let's breathe and let's move on to some more positive news. Um, Obviously, during the week and the last couple of weeks, you know, with the whole George Floyd um, and protest situation in the United States and all across Canada, for that matter, um, you know, there's obviously a big problem at hand, Amanda, with... Uh, people of different ethnicities in not just the National Hockey League, but in hockey in general, we still see racism to this day in junior hockey, uh, even at the peewee level and in the National Hockey League. And now players from the NHL's past and present are coming together to make a new Hockey Diversity Alliance, which is an independent organization that was started by minorities who have played professional hockey. Of course, um, you know, Akeem Alou, his whole story when he came out about, you know, the things that he went through during his time in Sudbury, in Windsor, uh, you know, playing professional hockey in the United States and all that. He's now starting a alliance with Evander Kane, who, of course, played 
place for San Jose. And they've now seen some pretty other notable names come through and join this this diversity alliance. Of course, them being Matt Dumb, but most recently uh, Trevor Daly, Wayne Simmons, Chris Stewart, and Joel Ward. And again, I can't emphasize this enough. There is a massive problem that still exists in hockey to this day where people of different skin color are relentlessly bullied and are the center of racism and it is just the most disgusting thing that I have personally seen because I have seen it happen before when Akima Lu was in Sudbury and also you think about Josh Hosang he was another player that had to face this kind of problem and it, it was truly mind-boggling that this happened back then and still happens today and hopefully, Amanda, this new diversity alliance can hopefully try and put an end to an ongoing problem that's been around for hundreds of years. You know what? I think for me, the piece to this that I wish would have happened years ago is that it took something uh, so drastic happening that they had no choice but to look at this. And if you think that racism does not you know, is not part of the dressing room banter or, or what's happening on the ice between, uh, you know, teams, give your head a shake because it yeah. 100% is. Not only on the teams themselves, but from fans that are yelling to the players that are on the ice. We see it all the time at an OHL level. There is a particular group of people here in Sudbury that drive me absolutely crazy with the things that they yell at these 16 to 20 year olds like let's put that in perspective for a second right like 16 to 20 year olds and they're going out and doing their job that they need to do and they're having to listen to some goofballs talk and and yell at them things that no 16 to 20 year olds should be to be yelled at Mm -hmm. as far as it when it comes to the nhl uh, I'm happy that this is happening. It, it's something that has needed to happen years ago. Uh, it is 2020 and we are still having to have discussions about racism and how racism lives within our society. And it's really sad because uh, hockey is a diverse sport. Um, is it the most diverse as far as all sports? No, it's not. Um, and you have to look at that and wonder why, right? There's mm-hmm. got to be a reason why that is the way that it is. And I think that this uh, alliance that has come together, uh, this Hockey Diversity Alliance, I think it can make a huge difference, not only in hockey, but in sports. Because if they're able to do this in the NHL, they need to start looking at this in all other professional sports and and making it inclusive to everybody and you know, eradicating racism, racism, not only from our society, but from sport as well. And, you know, I've, I've seen firsthand some of the things that have happened and it's disgusting. It's disgusting that they have to deal with this. And, uh, as a society, we need to do better. And I know for, for us personally at home, it has sparked a lot of conversation around the dinner table because these are the types of conversations that we need to be having with, our young children, uh, you know, learning on how to properly talk to people um, because this is this is something that is going to take a long time to shift society's mindset. 
and and this is the first step in in getting that to happen. So I I think that this is such a wonderful initiative. I would have loved to have seen this years ago before there. It took something so drastic happening, um, and it, it's it's sad, right? That this is how it has to come about. Yeah. Um, but I think that I, on a positive side, this is so needed, and. You know, like I said, if you think that this isn't happening in an arena where you live, then you are crazy because this is 100% happening in every single arena and it needs to stop. Yeah, it needs to come to an end. And, you know, you, you said it perfectly. Now, I need to give my personal side of this. I play video games on a constant basis. And, of course, I have played the EA Sports NHL franchise for a number of years. And there is a problem that is going on, Um, you know, obviously in the light of what was happening in Minnesota, um, EA has been having a problem with their online league known as the EA Sports Hockey League, where people would go and use profane names and racist names. And it's, it's disgusting to still see it. But EA is now taking steps to make this not happen anymore. They're trying to put in a reporting system to try and take these people off of the game and not let something like this go public ever again. And to see it happening so many times is truly heartbreaking. And it bothers me because I have played with... um, with people of different ethnicities and they're amazing people to talk to I'm friends with them still to this day and they have to deal with this problem on a constant basis because people do not just do not care for who they are just because of the color of their skin and this really needs to change it's been a problem for so long not just in the virtual hockey world but in the real hockey world you think about you know the past incident where Devonnie smith Pelly was in chicago uh where he was being taunted in the penalty box by a racist fan and you know they took him out of the building afterwards um just this whole situation again it's really tough to talk about because there's so much politics behind it but you think about like you said Amanda kids that have played in junior hockey and NHL to this day that have to deal with this stuff on a nightly basis it it really needs to come to an end and obviously in today's day and age you know obviously once you say something or you put it on the internet you can't take it back it's there forever and people have been called out for this and you know we really need to do better um not just you know as people but just as a whole human race we need to you know try and be just better people in general that's that's really all i can say because it's really tough to talk about this um you know obviously there's good sides to this whole story and bad sides because you know it could very well still happen but there are things in place to try and put this to an end and you know i think that's a really good uh real good feel good story um and you know i'm glad that people like kane and akima lu can really step up and finally voice their opinions um amanda let's get to our last topic um of this episode and it's another kind of feel good uh topic to be honest because you know with the whole situation with arizona and you know people questioning if they're actually going to stay in the state of arizona because they've had multiple owners multiple gms and just a humongous uncertainty of them staying 
in Arizona. And as much as the NHL has supported them, they're still struggling. But they have now found a, uh, a, a new president and CEO, and that's Xavier Gutierrez. And this is a historic moment for the NHL because Gutierrez is now the first Latino team president and CEO in the history of the National Hockey League, which I think, you know, kind of brings the diversity thing in because we've never seen a team have someone that was Latino to run an organization. And I think this is a great move by Arizona because, you know, there's a huge Latino heritage in that part of the United States. And I think Gutierrez gets it. I, I think, you know, as a businessman, he knows what will bring the people in because he's had 20 years as a business executive and an investor. He's a very, very smart man. He really is. And I think for Arizona, this is a huge stepping stone going forward. Absolutely. I love this hiring. I think it is uh, the right time. Um, And I think that the Coyotes have always been ahead of the trend of you know, the hiring of diversity uh, and or diverse backgrounds. And this this hiring makes so much sense because you look at the coyotes and the makeup that they have within their their office staff. You've got young people, uh, which I love because typically you don't see in the NHL. I you know, when you think of presidents and CEOs and and GMs, it's always you know, the kind of that older boys club, right? And I think the trend is turning to more of a younger a younger generation now, which I think is needed because let's face it, we, we think of things in a different way than perhaps the older generation. And not to say one is right or one is wrong, I think that this just brings such an immense amount of talent from the financial standpoint for the Coyotes. And that's why they've said that they've brought him forward because it's not just about, you know, what's going to happen today or tomorrow within the Coyotes organization. It's about long-term fiscal responsibility and making sure that they can one day bring a Stanley Cup to the Coyotes. Which I think could possibly give them a lot more stability in the National Hockey League moving forward. And I mean, they're kind of already on you know the right path right now because when the NHL returns they will be in the playoffs which is great for them um, you know and their roster this year really isn't that bad you think about you know Phil Kessel and Taylor Hall and Darcy Kemper this is one of the best Coyotes rosters we've seen in quite a few years and there's a really good chance that the Coyotes can finally be going uh, be finally be taking a step in the right direction like is it not? Absolutely and you know when I think of the Coyotes organization, I've been fortunate enough to actually go to uh, Phoenix and see them play. And I got to see two games uh, in Phoenix or Scottsdale where they play. Um, and there's been a lot of talk about whether the team stays, whether the team moves, do they move arenas? Do, like what's going to happen with this club? And there's been a lot of uncertainty, but you've seen the lineup get really bolstered on this team in the last couple seasons. And with that comes obviously a winning mentality. And with that winning mentality, now bringing in other pieces of the puzzle to kind of make everything come together. Because as much as what's happening on the ice, there's still the business side of the game. And we don't talk a lot about the business side of the game, but it's such an integral part of, you know, the different pieces of the puzzle when it comes to, 
an NHL hockey team. And I think that they've set themselves up definitely for success moving forward. Mm -hmm. Uh, He has a tremendous amount of experience. And it's interesting to bring somebody into the fold that really has never been involved in hockey, right? Like his background is an investment. And, you know, he's he's sat on different boards before. Uh, He's active within the community. Um, But we're not seeing, you know, that necessarily that immediate like ah there's the hockey connection but this is a smart businessman who is going to help set up the coyotes for success moving forward and i love it yeah i love it too i i think this is really good for arizona and you know obviously with their ongoing arena issues you know there's there's rumors that they're finally going to reach an agreement to you know keep not just uh, the Coyotes in Arizona, but keep them in the Gila River Arena in Glendale, which I think is going to be really important for them going forward. Like the, it, it, They need to have a substantial arena deal because they've gone through so many name changes in that arena. It's almost insane. But for Arizona, it's a step in the right direction. And I fully welcome Gutierrez into this. I think he's going to do very well for Arizona. And, uh, you know, this could work dividends for the Coyotes moving forward. And uh, as as much as I don't want to end this episode, that is it for this episode. That's all we got to talk about, at least. Amanda, I mean, great to have you for the first time on the show. And, you know, having you as a co-host, you know, having someone to actually, you know, go more in depth about some certain topics really is quite phenomenal. And obviously, you and I have known each other for a few years, and we've both thought about starting a podcast, and now that's finally come to reality. And I, I got to say again, it's great to have you on the show, and I'm looking forward to the future for this show and uh, having you on it. Uh, you know what? This was a great first episode, and I, for me to be part of, uh, I, I love it. Uh, I just wanted to correct one thing because I did say Scottsdale and that was because it was something else that was associated with that about where they were going to move the team. Anyways, it is Glendale. You are absolutely 100% right. You got the Dale part right. Yeah, You know what? I went to the right arena. I know it was at the right place, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) you know what? I love that city for hockey. I would go Mm -hmm. back there in a heartbeat. I actually am planning a trip once all of this is over and that will be one of the stops for sure. But uh, no, all in all, I think this was awesome to be a part of. I can't wait to get this really rolling uh, with both of us and, uh, and see where it goes. Yeah, this is going to be awesome. I can't wait either. Uh, that is going to do it for episode nine of the Deke Geeks podcast. Make sure you do uh, follow us on social media. Follow us on Twitter at Deke Geeks Pod. Uh, make sure you follow us on all of our streaming platforms, on Anchor, on Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts, which we have j- just recently added. We're working on another streaming platform. We'll announce that once it's actually official. But that is going to do it for this episode. On behalf of Miss Amanda Serkowski, I'm Thomas Mercy saying thank you for listening to episode nine of the deep geeks podcast until next week take care and stay safe